Hey guys, welcome to Reforming Slavics. Uh, I'm here with Tom. My name is Nick. Hey Tom, how's it going? Hey Nick, what's up? Doing pretty well. It's Friday. Oh yeah. Uh, so today we are going to be talking, and I wanted to share the story with you in regards to something we both experienced, and now looking back at it, I, I described it in the, notes, in the notes as if once you walk through a minefield and someone turns around and tells you, hey, that field was rigged with explosives and you happen not to step on one of them. Um, like the, the amount of danger that happened looking back is kind of terrifying. And yet at the same time, you're like, so many decisions were made and so many things happened that you like you were oblivious to. And now you realize, Oh, that could have turned out a lot worse than it did. And it did turn out pretty bad. This story. Um, this was around 2015 in Boise, the youth that we used to go to at the Church. Um, you remember, right? You remember an individual named Kurt? Yeah, he was a friendly guy. Yeah, so Kurt started going to our youth services, and I believe it was around the year before. I believe he went there for about a year in 2014. Uh, to describe Kurt, he was a 40-year-old American guy who had blonde hair, um, kind of had a pot belly, um, you know, late late 30s, early 40s. He had a really like enthusiastic personality, always smiling, and he was uh, really really engaging with people. Like he would constantly talk to you. He'd introduce himself. He was a really rambunctious guy, I would say. Like he was full of life. Uh, he used to sit in the back of youth. And I don't even remember how he found us, how he found our Russian church. Um, I don't, I don't recall that. All I know is, I all I know is, uh, he was you know there one day, and I met him. He actually used to attend the small group that uh, myself and Alex Thruk were uh, the leaders of, and he used to own a lawn care business, and he would do tree tree sales uh, during Christmas. And that's we actually had one of our small groups. So Kurt was interested in learning Russian, and uh, he would attend Russian school with the kids that were there on Tuesdays. At our church, we used to have a curriculum for Russian, and we would learn to read and write, and uh, he used to attend those. Uh, there were some particular unique like quirks about Kurt. Uh, one of them was that he would always carry a bag of candy with him, no matter where he was at church. If he was at church, he would carry like a bag of uh, one coke candy with him and he would pass it out to all the kids and like obviously kids love candy and so they would always be attracted to him right i mean even i took the candy it was it was pretty good and i was like yeah it's 18 (laughs) candy's good um and so he would uh he he would go to youth camp with us as well he was very engaged in in the youth life and even though he was almost 40 he was still engaged youth and obviously it is strange for a 40 year old american man to attend the youth service of a slavic russian speaking church right so that's a first um like step back that you're like huh that was not an ordinary thing right and then later on he would go to youth camp i remember him participating in youth camp he was part of my team um and what was your team name I honestly don't. I think it had to do something with camo because we had camo, the Green Army or something, or like God's Soldiers or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 
and uh, he stayed at the cabins there uh, with the boys and, and the, the teenagers and the yeah. youth. Yeah, I think it was in my cabin, and yeah, uh, you, he you got in trouble. Playing, he got in trouble for doing pranks. I think he yeah, one of his pranks was putting his underwear on top of a flagpole or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember you were do you were doing wake up duty with your trumpet back then. Oh uh, yeah, that was pretty people. Cool. People didn't like that too much, uh, especially the people that like to sleep in. Everyone yeah. that was already awake was all right with it. But I remember this one girl was telling me, uh, this was kind of off subject, but she was like, man, I wish your face was an alarm clock so I could so I could press snooze. <laughs> or punch it? Yeah, so I could punch snooze. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Kurt would continue attending Thursday night youth services where we preach. Um, and this went out for about a year, right? Toward the end of the year, um, I had a couple of uh, youth guys come up to me and describe to me that Kurt was discussing some explicit things with them, uh, sexually explicit things. And it was through a series of conversations revealed that Kurt was a homosexual, a sodomite, someone who obviously was gay, right? And so one evening uh, after Thursday service, um, we had, I think, three people gather really quick, or maybe it was four, uh, and we kind of had a quick discussion. I believe it was Eugene Kazimir. He was the youth leader back then. And, uh, he was kind of in charge. And then Arthur Pupko, myself, and I believe my cousin Ivan. Yeah. We we gathered in a hallway, and we kind of had a quick discussion. And the topic was um, Kurt was coming to services, youth services on Thursday Thursday nights, and during those services and after services, he would talk to uh, young men who are about, you know, from 15 to 17 about his beliefs that homosexuality is okay and discuss kind of sexually explicit things with them. And once we found out, we were like, well, something needs to be done. And so that night, once we had a quick meeting, uh, we went outside and we were like, hey, Kurt, can we talk to you for a second? Yeah. We're like, hey, Kurt, I, we, under, we, we understand that you um, have same-sex same attraction, that you're gay. Um, like, can you, you want to talk to us about it? He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, I believe that being gay, there's nothing wrong with being gay, that I'm a Christian and I love God and that I can still live a gay lifestyle. And we're like, well, here's the thing. We as Christians believe that is that is sinful and you can't be discussing these things and promulgating your belief system with the youth. What you can do is say, I want to repent, I want to change, and you can continue attending youth. You can continue trying to seek God's you know, grace and uh, work through your sin and find repentance and forgiveness in Christ. But if you choose to believe what you believe, and talk about it with other people, you're no longer welcome here. And he was a little bit upset, obviously. Um, and then my cousin Ivan uh, went and talked with him for a good couple of hours after that. And that's when Kurt stopped showing up to youth. Later in September, I got, I believe it was a text or a Facebook feed or something, that Kurt was arrested for... Um, later on, it was found out that he pled guilty to indecent exposure, misorderly conduct, and um, he had a violation of probation. I don't know what that violation of probation was. And these were two minors? Yeah, so um, I'm not going to—if you if you go online, you could find a news article that said that 
he was arrested for a sexual battery of a minor, 16 and 17 years of age. Yeah. But the actual court documents don't state that. All the court documents state that he was, he pled guilty to indecent exposure, which means showing what's not needed to be shown or not allowed to be shown to other people. Yeah. I'm not going to get explicit. Um, and so that occurred and uh, we were kind of all shocked. Another revelation was that the last name that he was using at youth was not his real last name. Really? Yeah. Um, it was it was different. How did that make you feel? Uh, we were all <laughs> shocked. Because I don't even remember that. Yeah. Well, I had to I had to yeah. do some snooping around to find out his last name. Yeah. Um, later on, we also found out that um, some of the elders at our church knew about his homosexuality and did not address it. Um, and that's why the youth leaders had to step up and kind of talk to him. Um, and that's why I said looking back at this story is almost like looking back at a minefield and realizing that it could have been a whole lot worse. And that, uh, I mean, literally by the grace of God, um, the fact that he was, you know, in contact with elementary school kids um, at Russian school and that he carried candy around everywhere and all those things kind of clicked in one and it, it was really shocking and quite horrifying, right? And the whole point of this story is not to belittle Kurt or to tell anyone that he is unworthy of God's grace. In fact, if there were an example of the grace of God being capable of saving someone, he would be an example of what God's grace can do if we choose to trust him. He tr- you know, chose to trust and repent in Christ. Yeah. Like Christ came to save sinners. And Paul says, of which I am the greatest, right? And so if Kurt repents and trusts in God, all his sin and all his unrighteousness and everything will be cleansed by the blood of Christ, just like it is for us. Yeah. Um, but I want to kind of talk to you about the fallout of this story and what occurred at the church. And just looking back, some of the things that uh, we did right and some of the things that went wrong. Um, one big thing was that, you know, something did actually happen. We didn't escape, you know, without some people being traumatized or being exposed to. And I, again, I don't know the details of what occurred. Um, and so I'm not going to discuss things that I don't have concrete evidence for. All the things I did mention are in court documents um, in regards to his homosexuality and the talk we had with him at church. There were witnesses and the reason we're talking about this publicly is because he was no longer welcome. The, the church knew about uh, the issues that he had. And so, you know, it's kind of public information. Yeah. So what's the reason you think you wanted, we wanted to discuss this topic? Uh, a big thing was that it was, it was an exercise in church discipline by people who were not in the position to work, like, they were not, we were not in the position to exercise the church discipline from, as, a, from as an a, elder perspective. 
Yeah, because you guys were youth leaders. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, in charge of this youth service that's kind of separate. Yeah. It almost kind of like separate from the church. Almost. So in, in one aspect, like, you know, uh, Matthew 18 talks about if you see a friend in sin or, or your brother in sin, you can come and re- rebuke him individually. And that's what we did. But in that rebuke, it was a contingency that, hey, it was almost an ultimatum, right? You either choose to heed our words or you can't attend service because of the seriousness of what was going on. It wasn't necessarily a sin that didn't affect anybody in the sense of like, hey, all sin affect people and all sin can hurt loved ones and the body. But this is a sin that could have been illegally affecting and hurting and um like seriously hurting people in regards to you know pedophilia yeah and it was you know matthew 18 talks about if a you know if a brother sins against you and you know it goes through the steps you know first you bring it up to your brother and if he you know if he repents uh of what he's done then you have gained a brother mm-hmm. and obviously we had a you know this guy he didn't he didn't repent, right? When he was brought up to the elders, I mean, not to the elders, but to you youth leaders, right? Yeah. He didn't repent of his lifestyle, right? He he, he continued to live in it, right? Yeah. Well, also, we didn't tell him to leave. He made that choice for himself. We told him, hey, you can attend. Yeah. If you start recognizing, you put boundaries on what you're doing. You can't bring candy anymore. You can't, like, you will be in a restricted kind of, um, sense not allowed to do certain things because of the severity of what was going on and he chose to not you know participate in our services anymore yeah you know it, it brings up a whole another topic that i think we're gonna get to i don't know what you want to discuss no, go first but uh just thinking about uh you know is it biblical or how if it is biblical like how should it be uh you know governed Right in the in the way that youth and uh, the Sunday church service is separated. Uh, yeah. Right. You don't have a like. Sure, you have a youth. We had a youth pastor mm-hmm. um, in a sense. Like we had a youth leader, and then like it was a, another pastor. Right. Yeah. He was an elder. Right. It was like Jitsasha or something. Yeah. He, uh, they would have a authority over certain decisions, but um, I don't know exactly. How so I would, I would describe it as functional leaders and elders and as um, legitimate leaders and elders. Uh, we were functional leaders, meaning that um, every Thursday service, uh, we would kind of direct service and plan the program and have pe- preachers and find preachers. Every Wednesday night, we would gather. I just touched something I wasn't supposed to. Uh, every Wednesday night, we would gather and discuss the future plans of the week in regards to either events coming up or Thursday service, we would pray, we'd plan all those things out. And so um, it was almost like a, when no one else is around, you pick up what needs to be done, right? And even if you're not qualified, it just happened to be the place and time and someone needed to do something, or it could have been a lot worse, right? Mm. And so in regards to how the church is set up, obviously the elders and pastors have authority over the congregation and the youth or youth services are not separate or a different church or a different entity from the actual congregation right uh, and so when you have decisions that are need to be made there needs to be someone who is 
an elder making these decisions in regards to talking to Kurt or talking to someone in regards to, you know, saying, hey, you can't come here anymore or something's going on um, or addressing things even before that. Yeah. But the way it was run, and I mean, right, no, no church is perfect. And so the grace of God works in different ways. And so at the time, at the youth service, it was up to us to kind of intervene where something uh, needed to be done. And man, that's probably one of the biggest things looking back that kind of, again, looking back was very (laughs) scary. It was like, whoa, it could have been, you know, something that could have happened and by God's grace it didn't. And so this brings up a big topic of homosexuality and icky topics, like topics that are too icky to discuss yeah. at in the Russian community that are taboo and that are difficult and that we have a very poor track record of dealing with. Um, and a lot of times when we, like as, as a human being, as a church member, when we don't know how to deal with something, we choose to just ignore it. And, you know, we so it's not something that can be ignored. And so we kind of discussed earlier this week, like, what is the view of the Russian church on homosexuality? All right. Like, if if we take a congregation of 500 people, the assumption is in the Russian church that out of that congregation, there isn't no there isn't someone who is struggling with the same attraction. There's no sodomites in the right in in the congregation. Sodomite is just a word for homosexual or someone who's gay, right? It's a biblical term. Yeah. And the assumption is um, that kind of thing doesn't occur at the Slavic community. Um, and I think that's a very naive assumption because um, those things do occur because humanity has fallen and sinful and populations are not segregated or protected from certain sins. All human beings suffer from the fall. And so all kinds of sins are involved. Yeah. Especially it's something that we, um, might have, unfortunately might have blind spots, uh, coming from Ukraine, uh, or from Russia. Yeah. Where that was not as much of an issue. Like if you look at it now, right, it might be becoming a more and more of an issue, mm-hmm. but maybe not as much as in America. Yeah. And, uh, that's something that we have to recognize is when we come to a different country um, that we're going to start dealing with different sins. We're going to deal with different culture, like the Roman culture in the first century. They were, you know, infused with a ton of homosexuality, with a ton of, um, you know, same sex attraction and a lot of these problems that even Apostle Paul, you know, mentions in First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Yeah. You want to pull that up? Or do you have it open? I had a Matthew 18 open. Okay, let me pull it up right now. It's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It talks about a whole host of sins. Um, but then Paul concludes with something, you know, with, with the gospel. Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so when we look at that verse, Paul starts with people who are unrighteous and he lists all hosts of sin, all kinds of sins, all categories of sexual immorality, homosexuality, um, you know, swindlers, revilers, people who are depraved. And the the point is, some were some of you, but you were washed, you were changed. You were saved by the grace of God. Yeah. And so, I think everybody would agree with that. Um, maybe some of the disconnect would be, uh, you know, like at what what is it like? Can you be a Christian but o- but also be homosexual? Like, how would you answer that? And the like, maybe I'll I'll answer first. I can answer. I'm just it's a tough subject because yeah, I personally have never experienced homosexuality, but homosexuality is sexual immorality. Yeah, it's just a perverted version of it, right? Um, someone who lusts after a woman is clearly in the wrong, right? Christ says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so that's something that needs to be repented of. And homosexuality is a perversion of that, right? Lust is a sinful desire, but uh, attraction to some to the opposite sex is a good desire. It's biologically ingrained in you for you to find someone to marry and have, you know, a partner for life and a wife or a husband and enjoy intimacy in marriage. And a perversion of that is attraction to uh, someone else that's the opposite sex of you. Um, in other words, it's a misuse of a gift that God gives. And that's what a perversion yeah. is, right? You I take mean, something beautiful that God created and you use it in a way that dishonors him. Yeah, and that's what um, even Romans 1 talks about. It's therefore, you know, it says, Therefore God had gave them up to the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped the Creator. I mean, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, verse 26, chapter 1, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natu- natu- natural relations with those who contrary to to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Yeah, Romans is quite clear about that, that a perversion of uh, our view of God or the stepping away from God always manifests itself in worshiping creatures rather than creation and in a perversion of sexual morality uh, yeah. where, where a whole host of sin just floods in. To where it's contrary to nature, right? The natural, from the beginning, man and woman were created for one another. Yeah, and so uh, that's why it's called a perversion of God's natural good gift of attraction to yeah. the opposite sex. That's a biological drive that we all have. But a big question would be uh, that is brought up by people who um, may have talked to someone about this or themselves are struggling with it. it would be like, well, I was born that way, right? And so if I was born that way, 
why do I need a change? Or, or, or why would God make me this way? And the answer to that is actually pretty simple. It's the same answer that you give to a straight person who's lusting. Well, you were born that way. Well, yeah, I was born as a sinful human being. We were born in sin. David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. And so when you say, well, I was born a homosexual. Well, not really, because, you know, you're not sexually attracted to anything until puberty, right? That's just biological. Number two is, if you have a perversion or if you're misusing God's good gift, that's still a sin that can be changed and repented of. And the evidence of the change is Paul saying, which were some of you, but you were saved. And so homosexuality is included in the list of people. So in Corinth, there were people who were homosexuals their entire life where they where they realized that they're attracted to someone, right? And, and then, then became Christians. And then became Christians. And Paul says, you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no longer those kind of people and sinners. And so the gospel gives the same amounts of grace and the same welcome that the cross gives to you know to anyone as as well as homosexuals. So if you are a lustful person who is attracted to women as a, as a guy, right, and you're in sin, the gospel gives you the answer. Repent and trust in Christ for your justification. If you're attracted to the same sex, the answer is the same. Trust in God for his forgiveness toward you. Yeah. And you will be changed. That's the promise of scripture. Yeah. And so when it comes to uh, church discipline, right, we confront someone about their sin, but mm-hmm. the the problem will is right if that person is is not is not if they're struggling with like homosexual like homosexual thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's more that are they repenting of it? Yeah, going back to the original question you asked, like how can you be a Christian and homosexual? We all like people who are drunkards or people who have difficulty with alcohol, they remain Christian if they continually pursue holiness and repentance. That does not mean that the grace of God is insufficient for their failure. Yeah. And the same thing with someone who is it you no know, has thoughts, lustful thoughts that are homosexual, doesn't mean that God they're outside of the grace of God. Yeah. It's just that they no longer should identify as that. Yeah. Just like just like if, if you were in an adulterous relationship, you end the relationship and you pursue holiness. Or if you're, you know, addicted to pornography and you fail, you repent of that and you no longer identify and say, Well, the fact that I watch pornography isn't a big deal. You say it's a horrible sin and I struggle with it, but I'm pursuing holiness and I will be free through the grace of God. It is the act of pursuing of Christ, the act of repentance of that sin, and the act of desire for his grace, right? And so that applies to all the sin. And this kind of ties into church discipline in regards to, well, you don't have to have church discipline for someone who's pursuing holiness. You have to have church discipline for someone who is rejecting um, something that was addressed to them, and that the rebuke no longer holds any value to that person. They believe that they're in the right while they're in sin. And that kind of brings up the idea of how how church discipline should be handled. Church discipline should be addressed by... So, well, let's go with Matthew, Matthew 18, right? If you see your brother in sin, 
you come up to them and you say, brother, you're in sin. And if they listen to you, you have won your brother. If they don't listen to you, take a couple of witnesses mm-hmm. and then go and address the issue and, and the sin. And hopefully they listen to the witnesses and listen to the advice of multiple counselors and repent. If that's not the case, then the elders should approach the church and publicly say, we have an individual who is actively living in sin and does not care to repent. They are no longer a part of this community. And so that point, that should be done by qualified and equipped elders. And a struggle that the Russian community at times has is the ability to deal with issues like the story we just mentioned, because it's an icky topic and um, not a lot of people are qualified or, you know, want to kind of dive into the counseling aspect of, you know, how do we counsel someone who's struggling with that? It's so foreign to the Russian community, which is staunchly um, very traditional and very um, distraught by topics like this almost to the point where we um, hesitate to think that they exist in our community, right? Yeah. Um, I call them icky issues, but that's, that's just childish. But also with the whole topic of church discipline, mm-hmm. one thing I I see, unfortunately, in some, in some churches, even non-Slavic churches, you know, I talk to Americans at the church that we go to now and they see that's a pro- that was a problem in a lot of in a lot of american churches is that there's just not a lot of accountability or there's not church discipline in that mm-hmm. if there's a person that's unrepentant and it might be even the worst is when it's an elder and then it, when it becomes habitual and when mm-hmm. when the elders you know or it's even worse when there's a pastor and when there's like a hierarchy you know when there's like the pastor is like almost over over the elders almost yeah in that kind of church government that church structure to where he can get away with a lot more than like if he was just an elder or something like that yeah you you need you always need well the the whole entire story of mars hill obviously and uh, the mark driscoll possible yeah the the mark driscoll the podcast that was released what a year ago here about that um it boils down to the fact that we we like it's not just some particular culture that has an issue with this the reason it's mentioned in scripture is because all christian churches need to strive to follow the standards that god's law talks about in regards to church discipline right the reason it's in the bible is is assumed that we would veer from it and so that's why scripture is there you want me to read uh first timothy it's talking about qualifications for overseers yeah so in First Timothy chapter three it says uh, the qualifications for el- for an overseer or an elder. It says this saying: the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires that office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit or fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well taught of by outsiders, um, so that he may not fall into disgrace into his, the snare of a devil, the snare of the devil. And it talks about deacons as well. Yeah, there's essentially qualifications for elders are listed in Timothy, and um, I mean. It's not like there there are a lot of great elders at the Russian church that meet all those qualifications. Um, I just think that there needs to be more discussion in regards to topics like that we just mentioned because um, the world vastly changed from the time where, you know, the our parents and myself came to the United States from Russia to now and the issues that especially young people are dealing with in the culture in regards to LGBTQ plus and including, you know, everything in the world is, is something that really needs to be addressed. And I would encourage, you know, church members and young people at youth ask those questions, be like, Hey, like I might have a homosexual friend. I want them to be saved and be accepted to the kingdom of God. How do I approach them? Right? How do I speak to them? Because, um, you know, if we ignore those people, if we think that there are some kind of deviants that don't deserve our attention or don't deserve to be talked to, we're passing over those who need the gospel the most. And it's it's a really it's a difficult topic, but it's something that needs to be talked about. And I hope that you know people who kind of never heard of this or kind of always thought about these things and really wonder like how would I approach that engage with your elders engage with your pastors you're like I want to know these questions and how how would I approach it and how does that church deal with people how do we counsel people um, if I find someone in the church struggling or has difficulty with this sin can I can I send them to you for counseling and how would you get them to a place to understanding God's law his grace their natural um the natural way God created us to function with our proper attractions and not a perversion of our biological attractions. And I really do hope that like there is a conversation about this and that the story that occurred, um, you know, in 2015 to our youth doesn't occur again. Um, that's a big, that's a big desire of mine that, um, that would be a big learning lesson where you know people did get hurt i don't know to the extent of or who it was but um that 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 won't happen again and that you know elders a lot more cautious to what was going on or what is going on with their youth and um really address issues like that